everyone. It is episode 309 of This Is Whole Life. And if you have been with us the last seven weeks and six messages, well, still seven messages. Seven messages, six, six commandments. commandments. Yeah, that's yeah. a better way to say it. You know what? I actually had uh, <laughs> one of our church members, Zed, who's a uh, Old Testament theology professor at Advent Health that's University. I like what he says. He says it's uh, instead of commandments, he, I think he said it was the ten words. I have looked for it, and I need to—next time I see Zed, I have to ask him. We did an episode about the commandments, and he gave us this really in-depth background, and it was more like the word that he used other than com- that in place of commandments was like an—it was like an invitation. Yeah. To like an invitation to come. I think you might even said that, like the invitation, the, maybe the ten invitations, the ten invitations, something yeah. like that. Uh, you might be right, and that that message really has kind of changes with it me. up when you think about that, right? Ten no, invitations absolutely. as opposed to uh, do this, <laughs> do it or else. Yeah, <laughs> which we, you know, a lot of us kind of grew up with that. And you know, this week we were on episode or we episode <laughs> episode seven, <laughs> the adultery chronicles. No, yeah. it was on the seventh commandment, which is, of course, you shall not commit adultery, as yeah. it says in Exodus twenty fourteen. And and you we're, know, this is just one of those topics where I give I, before we actually recorded the first time, which we <laughs> didn't record. Uh, I told Ken, I was like, major kudos for like just preaching a sermon. And like, because here's how I feel like these go and how we're attacking this, this sermon series is thou shalt not kill. I ain't killed anybody. This is great. I love number six. And then it's like, yeah, but you know, you know what, you know what else kills people? Your attitude towards them, how you treat them, how you do. And you're like, oh, crud. So now like six, which was one has now become six plus 10 or 11. (laughs) And so I feel like there's like. Uh, you know, 20 things extra that we've piled on top of the yeah. 10. So I think when we're done, it's going to be the 10, 200, like, you know, time with some kind of math equation. That could be like the next time you preach this sermon, it could be like a really cool math thing. And you're like, like you the thought, exponentials or something. When you thought there was 10, now there's more, <laughs> a lot more. No, but it, it's good that there's a lot more because I think at the surface, if you're just like, whoa, number six, check it off the list. Yeah. Hey, I've never cheated on my wife or my husband. Check it off the list. And then you start digging deeper about the little things. And I'm like, Ken, you're laying minefields out in front of you that no matter where you step, there is danger in in all ways, in any way that you would move. Well, in fairness to me, I didn't actually lay that out myself. I God kind of gave those ten commandments, and so well, ten words or ten invitations. But I've never, I've never had anyone really stop and break down the ten in this manner before. Really, not not to this, not to me, not to this degree where there is a purposeful and meaningful look. It's like, oh well, yeah, you know, if you've looked at a woman and you've lusted after her, you know, then you've already committed adultery, and you're like, well, that's kind of harsh. Well, that, that's okay. So now there's two, but I've never really heard more than that before. Okay, like there's all these extra things, and yet I think part of it is realizing that in some ways I, I find it to be a positive because I'm like, you know, this, this, or this that we've gone over so far, I, I feel like I do pretty good there. I'm not, I'm not going to say perfect or anything near perfect, but. That one I'm actually kind of good at. I, I feel like that's a strength for me. So finding that there are other places that maybe you didn't think about before where you're like, oh, I'm a little bit— a little So bit. invitations to growth. 
Yeah. 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 I like that. Look at, he just, he was like looking at me and I was like, oh, he's reading my mind. I better, I better bob and weave. And then he nailed it. Right. But opportunities to grow. Isn't that, isn't that a nice thing though, to to look at it as an opportunity to grow as opposed to a you must or else or else kind of of scenario. I I think that when we look at the, these 10 words from God, these, these 10 invitations, these Ten Commandments, however you want to go ahead and phrase it, when you look at it as an opportunity for growth, then it changes things a little mm, bit, because yeah. instead of, what do you do? I mean, you you know, even if you're a professional athlete, you never think that you've always, you've gone, you've run as fast as you possibly yeah. can. You may have run as fast as you possibly can, but you always are trying to do a little bit, a bit better, better, do something a little bit more. And I think that in the Christian race, the, 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 talked about in Hebrews, you know, I think the invitation there is to have a, a growth mindset, not to say, okay, well, I don't murder anybody, but to think a little bit more deeply about it and say, yeah, are there more than one way to take take life or take the joy out of people's life? Is there a way for me to grow further? And that's the thing that sometimes can feel a little bit overwhelming if you allow it to, is this realization that you're really never there. Yeah, there's, there's always, always more room to grow, and that's why we need God's grace so much. Is because, you know, for those who think that just simply keeping ten commandments is all it takes, you really miss the fact that you're in desperate need of God's grace every day, every day, Oof. every moment. Yeah, I think it makes them also seem a lot less arbitrary. Ten Commandments and, okay, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, check and check. But those almost seem like they come across from the gavel. No adultery. <clears throat> Got it? Got it. Got it. Yeah. No, 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 no killing. <clears throat> Slap the hand. No. Okay. Got it. Got, Got it. it. And it just seems like they're rules that were just like, well, you know what? Since you guys shouldn't really have too much fun because that only leads to bad places, let's just drop the rules down. Make sure that we, you know, crack them with the hammer. You know what they are. Not just, not don't do them. And this just seems more like, you know, along with that in, <laughs> that invitation to grow and to learn, it just seems like there's more there's there's more skin in the game for you to find those places where you do maybe are a little bit stronger. Those places you're a little bit weaker, and in conversation maybe with your spouse or your mate or uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, or just friends, you can find places that you guys share or maybe the ways that you guys can get together and lift each other up, which is really cool mm-hmm. when you think about that. Yeah, I wanted to, to start out with, uh, Ken had a statement that he started off both sermons with and said, humans were created with an innate need to be loved. We want to be loved not for what is best about us, but in spite of what is worst. And that was that was your statement, right? That that's yeah. your your laying claim to that one. No copyright. I don't think I'm stealing that from anybody. <laughs> that um, I actually wondered because I I, I I I sometimes you write something down. You're like, ooh, I really, really like good. that. Yeah. I really like that. Somebody must have said. I must have heard that somewhere, somewhere and picked yeah. it up from somewhere. And I actually remembered where I did get that from. I actually got that from my wife. Did you? Um, yeah, it was uh, probably about hmm, I'd say eight. Years ago, we were—I think it was our 15th wedding anniversary—and we were on a trip together. We were driving to wherever we were going, and kind of as we were driving, we were kind of talking and reflecting on our 15 years of marriage. And and Rochelle looked over at me. And she said, "You know, Ken, I think what what's so special to me is that you have seen me at my worst, and you still love me. And I've seen you at your worst, and I still love you." And that thought—I mean that. 
that uh, that has had such an impact on me because it, it hit to the core of, I know, kind of something that I know I really crave in my life, and that's to be loved in spite of <laughs> myself because, you yeah. know, I'm not a very perfect person, and and the truth is, is that those who live with us, they know. Oh, they, yeah. You know, our kids, our <laughs> spouses, they know. They know who we really are. You can hide from your coworkers. You can hide from your friends to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah. But the people that you live with, they know. Yep. They know who you are. And to be loved unconditionally, um, that's, that is probably one of the greatest gifts any human being can give another human being. And so— so that's where that phrase came from. I, I, was, I was thinking about that experience, and I thought, you know, that really gets to me to the core of this seventh commandment, um, thou shalt not commit adultery, because adultery really comes down to saying to another person, sorry, buddy, yeah. sorry, ma'am, sorry, whatever, sorry, you're, you're, you're not cutting it, yeah. and I'm going to go ahead and get what I need somewhere else, because you're not enough. You, I don't love you as is. I need something else. I need something more. For anybody who's ever been cheated on, there is an incredible depth of pain there. And and, and whether, you know, whether you're a Christian or not, I yep. mean, you know, very non-Christian movies show the yeah. pain that people have when they're cheated on. It's yep. it is it is painful and it cuts to the to the core of your soul because it's another person really truly rejecting you and saying, "Yeah, you're you're not enough and I don't love you as is and I don't uh, you know, I might not even love you for the good stuff in you. I just, I, I, I need something else. And I think that's what's so painful. And so as I, was, as I was kind of trying to get started on this sermon, trying to figure out how I wanted to lay it out, I was thinking, well, what's, what's the core of what's going on here? And, and for me, the core of it is that God sets up marriage as this metaphor for his love for us and the love that the Trinity has for the Trinity. There's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, this, this Trinity of three, and God gives us marriage, and he tells us that the two shall become one. And it's the same oneness that's talked about in the Bible for marriage, that the two become one, just like God is one. And so what happens is that God sets up this marriage metaphor to explain to us that he loves us as is, that he that, that he loves us not for what's just simply best about us, but in spite of the worst in us. He loves us unconditionally. And and marriage is one of those opportunities to practice that kind of godlike love, to love somebody not simply for what's the best in them, but in spite of the things that are irritating and, and that are <laughs> frustrating and that yeah. aren't beautiful and that are a little bit ugly. And and so the fact of the matter is that's the way we want to be loved, and that's why this sermon, this this message about the seventh commandment matters so much because it comes down to us saying, I am going to go ahead and behave the same way that God behaves, or it's saying I'm not going to because I'm not going to say if if you don't meet my needs, if you don't do what I need you to do, then I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going I'm to move on. The last part of that was marriage is an opportunity to practice God-like love. Love where we don't just love people for what is best about them, but also accept them and love them with their flaws. This does not mean infidelity or abuse must be accepted and that boundaries for good behavior can't be enforced, which is the point of the seventh commandment. And as I thought about that and what you just said, kind of wrapping that up just for myself, when I got divorced 
geez, 25 years ago, something like that. Yeah. I, I was so far away from God that, you know, Christian wasn't, I mean, I was raised that way, but I wouldn't have called myself one and neither would anybody else. That was one of the worst experiences that you go through, even yeah. though you were, I was cheated on. And, um, there, it was it was the most Jerry Springerish story ever in history. But you're right the amount of the amount of pain and the amount of trauma that you carry, even for longer than you would expect, mm-hmm. goes yeah. on. Even if it's not something that because people are like, well, you know, Christian, if you're not a Christian, I mean, what do marriage vows mean? I mean, you're saying vows to who? You don't really believe in God. You don't really care. So is it really a? It doesn't matter when you pledge. And you say, well, the vows. answer is that if you don't believe in God, you're making a pledge and a promise to the person that you're standing across from, right? And, and even and if you do believe in God, you're making a promise to them God and God. God, yeah. So, what a great point you're making, though, that Randy is you know, basically at a moment in your life where you're not don't claim Christianity particularly and you're not really Christian, even there in that place, the pain that you felt out of a broken marriage was excruciating. Yeah. Uh, and and I I have not talked to anybody who's been through a, a divorce who is like, yeah, I'd do that again. It was yeah, it was I, that, that was great. Let's, you know, <laughs> I'll sign me up for the next one. one. You know, it's yeah. like nobody does. That. I mean, even the people whose divorces look relatively s- smooth if you want to use that word, talk to me about the crushing pain that they feel. Yeah. That that I mean, there's some people who are very happy to be out of the marriage, that they're sure. they're glad, but that the pain that they go through in that process is overwhelming. And and so I think that's one of the things as as Christians we've got to be a little bit conscious of because I think that sometimes Christians pile on to people when they get divorced. Well, no, you know absolutely. what Jesus said about divorce. Well, yeah, I, most people do know what Jesus who are Christians know exactly what Jesus had to say about divorce. And and the fact of the matter is, is that that there's a reason why Jesus said that divorce was not a good thing, is because it he knew it, he knew. it's crushing, yeah. it's it's painful. But you're with right. that said, let's go ahead and show some compassion, Please. like Jesus did, yeah. to people who are going through that, and not act like it's something that they necessarily want. I know that sometimes there are people who bring this on themselves, right? But nevertheless. It's pain. You don't need to be reminded of, well, you know, if you hadn't lived in sin before you got married, this wouldn't right. happen. You know, and you know, and, if you'd been a better person, you've been this, that, another. Most of the time, that's a good yeah. a divorce attorney's reminding them <laughs> of that pretty frequently, right? Yeah. So I think our job as Christians is to come alongside people who are going through these difficult times. And do we want to encourage people to stay in their marriage? Usually. Yeah, if there's, Usually, if there's something— Usually, uh, not when they're being physically abused, not when they're being necessarily being cheated on, phys- yeah. you know, physically. Not Sometimes I've had, you know, I've had spouses come in and say, hey, should I stay with this person? They're, you know, I'm being cheated on. And, and the answer is, it depends. You're within your rights biblically to get divorced. On the other hand, if you have children, if you've got other things, there's there's things you have to think about. about. And there's— yeah. And again, like I mentioned in my sermon, there's Hosea, who God has marry a prostitute yeah. and stick with her, even though she's being unfaithful to the point where he's naming his children names that kind of give you the impression he kind of is pretty sure they're not his he's own children, him, right? Yeah. And so with all that, it depends. It depends. And every situation, I just say that, you know, if you're going through this and you, you're asking, I, that was one of the questions I think that came in. It was, yeah. Was, you know— 
my spouse is cheating on me, is it okay to divorce them? And the answer is from a biblical perspective, the Bible says, yeah, that's what Jesus says. Yeah. The question is, what do you feel God telling you to do? I appreciated that response, though, that you gave, because it's not black and white, and there's, like you just laid out, there's a ton of things to consider, and least of which is someone who, I mean, just from someone who's been in that position, when you find out the first time and maybe the second time, the third time and mm-hmm. more, there's a ton of processing going on. Even if you, at, you're you at a point where maybe you're not a Christian and you're, you're still going, no, but I, I made a promise. I took my vow seriously. Yeah. And so this, is, this isn't right. And I feel like I need to be the one to, you know, grab the bootstraps and let's make another run at this. Let's, yeah. let's somehow make this right. Let's figure out how to do this. And the other part is going, but I have no trust, and I yeah. don't, I can't. And then the hurt of knowing that yeah. you've been betrayed, and all these things that they, they they stack up, and it's hard to it, it, just to have a black and white answer. Sometimes is almost the biggest life slap is in a the lot face more complicated than that, isn't it? It, it really it is. is. And we try to we try to boil it down to you can do this in this situation, you can't do this in that <laughs> situation. When there's a lot more of nuance to life, there is yeah. a time, you know. I think that's one of the points that Ecclesiastes is making out when it says there's a time for everything. everything and there's, yeah. There is the proper time, and part of that is discernment. It's having people around you that you can trust, that, that will give you good information, that will the, that will help you. But we've got to be careful about that. And and I just, at this point, also like to say to the, the person out there who's listening right now who is the person who cheated, God's not done with you either. And And yeah. we often say, you know, that person cheated, they're a bad person. What they did was bad, bad. Yeah, they did a bad but that thing. doesn't mean that they're a bad person. People make mistakes. People do yeah. things that people find themselves in situations that that they should have not found themselves in, but that just they, they didn't mean to get themselves to. They they find themselves, oh, I and I've, I've talked to so many people who have been in this, that, that it, it sneaks up on them because they keep making little choices that aren't yes, the right choice. Yeah, the small ones, yep. And you know it's that it's the innocent conversation that that you start having with an attractive colleague at work, that then goes to catching lunches with colleague at work alone. That then proceeds to you know after hours, spending time with them. That then proceeds to other places. And and it's like those little one steps that that get you there. And the person never meant to get themselves there. But they did. And what I want to say to the person who's who's listening to this right now is that the the shame that you can feel can feel overwhelming. It can feel mm-hmm. like nothing will ever be right. Nobody will ever trust you again. And you and and you question whether you are a good person or whether you can ever be a good person again. And what I want to say to you is this: it is never too late to make a good decision and, and to choose to do the right thing and to start making. And God isn't done with you. Yeah, God isn't done with you. Just because you've made a mistake doesn't mean that God's done with you. Now, that doesn't mean that your spouse won't be done. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and it's yeah. not, it doesn't mean your spouse doesn't have a right to be done. I've seen people say, "Well, I'm sorry, so you need to forgive me." Well, that's that's a little mm. that's. I don't think that when I've hurt somebody, I have the right to tell the person I've hurt what they have to what do. They have to, yeah, because. That's not within my power. I can ask for forgiveness. I can tell them that I want to do right in the future, That and I can do the, th- the steps that I need to to prove that I will do what's right in the future. But in the end, they're the one who has to make the decision whether they're willing to put themselves in the, in the space where I could hurt them again yeah. if I do what I have done in the past. And so 
that's what I would just I'd say. So if you're if you find yourself in the position where you're that person who's broken the seventh commandment, God's not done with you. You have not put yourself beyond the grace of God. There may be consequences in life for that, but you haven't put yourself beyond God's grace. I mean, we only have to look through the Bible to see Lots a of multitude <laughs> of people who made yeah. uh, similar mistakes. Bad choices. Yeah. And there were consequences, and yet God works through those consequences and works through it to bring re- redemption. And I think maybe one of the b- most beautiful things about looking through Jesus' genealogy is to see the number of people in that genealogy that were very imperfect and that did some pretty messy things, and that yet God keeps them in Jesus' direct genealogy. It's a pretty yeah. amazing thing. So, you know, I think I think we have to be very careful when it comes to this topic because it's easy to be very, very, very hard on people who are who are breaking this commandment and forgetting that there's grace there for that. We put a scarlet letter on them. We don't allow yeah. them to ever get outside of that box again. And that again, that doesn't say there shouldn't be discernment there, that that, sure. that if a yeah. person um, isn't taking the steps to be healthy, uh, you know, that they that there shouldn't be something there. But I do I do want to say that because I do think that for a lot of people that once they they break that commandment, there's a there's this overwhelming feeling of man. Yeah. Uh, I'm God's probably done with me. I'm just toast. If if God lets me in, I'm just I'm you know, I'm that I'm that prodigal child crawling back to dad saying I'm not worthy to be, you know, called your son anymore. Or can I just please be a servant in your house? And that's you know, the humility is a good thing, but but go home to dad. He he wants you to come home. Wants you to come home. Yeah. I think we're especially in Christianity and in conservative Christianity, we're even more so we're hard on both sides. And we're hard on the people that, you know, also were not the perpetrators and the quote unquote person that yeah. did the wrong. Not that there's not weight on both sides. I mean, I, you know, I certainly was not a perfect, I'm still not a perfect person. And I was even fur, further removed from being a perfect person then than I am now. So there was, you know, there's a role for everyone to play. It wasn't like it just happened and it usually out of the blue, there's things that lead up to it. There's problems in the marriage, there's problems in the relationship. And it just, it's just such a it's a bad time for everybody and piling on just platitudes and or your or your spiritual advice probably isn't the best time until asked for and just to be on the same thing god's not done with you just because you you know you probably are feeling like i did i contributed to the mess we were in and the mess our relationship was in, and you're like, man, no, I'm, I'm, I have a part to play. Yeah, I didn't do that, but yeah. I'm still feeling pretty bad about myself. And having people pile on and tell you what you did wrong in the first place, yeah. uh, it certainly didn't help that any. So, uh, a, a word of, a word of just encouragement if you're feeling like you're in a place where you don't, you don't know which way is up, and you feel like it's a spin. Man, I wish, I wish I would have known God then, like I do now. And yeah. even though. It's not going to make it just all go away. At least it gives you something that you know you can lean on and you know that someone has your back all the time. It's just uh, so, 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 so important. You gave a couple of approaches to the seventh commandment, and I was like, the scarlet letter. And I'm like, do I remember this story right? <laughs> was this the, Is this what I think it is? And that was this the, the novel, what was it, written, 18, 18, published in 1850 something? by Nathaniel Hawthorne, and it was actually Man. going back to the 1600s to in, the Puritan, 60s, yeah. in Puritan culture, where um, no grace. a lot of shame, a lot of judgment, and and that's the problem you were talking about just a little bit ago about uh, 
you know, Christian culture that that really comes down hard and shames on this topic and, and won't talk about it, that we right, won't have yeah. conversations about sex. We won't use that word because that's, you know, you know, we just kind of go with the approach of another story. So just, just, just stop it. Just, just don't do it. Just don't, you know, <laughs> yeah. don't just, you know, it's, it's easy. No, well, you know what, if it were easy, you wouldn't see so much of this stuff happening. If it's not it easy. If stop, it worked. <laughs> right. And so uh. the problem with, with it is when we don't talk about it and when we shame, shame, shame mm. without the hope of forgiveness and grace, of course, what do you expect people to do? They're going to go ahead and they're going to move off into the shadows. They're not going to share no, what they're sure. not going to share what's going on in their life because they don't want to be shamed and they don't they know that if they share the truth, they might not ever be welcomed back into the the circles that they're currently in. And that's what, you know, the Scarlet Letter is about. It's about a woman named Hester Prynne, a fictional person who becomes pregnant. Her husband is is gone. And when she becomes pregnant, so they know that it, she had to have been committing adultery, and they bring her out in front of the, the community, and they you know humiliate her and embarrass her, and they, they try to get her to tell who the father is so they can do the same, and she won't give up who the father is. And the book kind of follows her from there. They, they force her to wear this scarlet A mm. that identifies her as an adulteress. And, and I think this is a, a moment to stop and say, just for a second— that I think that women are pretty unfairly targeted when it comes to adultery, that the ten, there tends to be a different standard for women in this topic than there is for men. Um, you know, firstly, it's a lot easier. Uh, there's a lot more tells when a woman's committed adultery, um, potentially. In this particular case, you know, she got pregnant, yep. whereas, you know, she can get pregnant, but the father doesn't necessarily, you know, you know doesn't, yeah. have, doesn't have to own anything necessarily. And throughout history, we kind of see this where where women are are kind of marginalized on this. You can see it even today that you know we live in a culture that that kind of celebrates a guy who who's had multiple sexual partners, a woman who's had multiple yeah. sexual partners. That's that's, that's you know. Yeah. And again, that's not not me at all saying. Don't hear me no, saying no, no, that no, multiple right, sexual. Yeah, right. But what I'm trying to say is. We have double standards here, and women are often very unfairly targeted when it comes Absolutely. to this, and yep. and men are let off a lot easier. I can think of um, any number of, of Christian men that I'm aware of that have violated this commandment, and they're just kind of, you know, a little slap on the wrist, come back, whereas a woman does it, there's just, there's just a different reaction, and... I'm not suggesting there shouldn't be grace for people Fair when they yeah. when they're truly sorry and when they've, you know, demonstrated that they're willing to make amends for the things that have happened. But that's the the point that the that the Scarlet Letter makes is that when at the end you find out it's the minister who's been this is the one who's, you know, I shouldn't even say it then, probably midway through the book, you kind of find out it's the the minister and he actually um he becomes sick because it bothers him so much that he's he's holding on to all this guilt for for not stepping up for not you know for letting Hester handle it all by herself, and uh, it makes him physically ill. And in the end of the book, he actually dies. Some feel because of the shame that he he felt, even though he'd never even been identified. Right, yeah. Um, and so yeah, so that I think that's one of those stories where we have to think about a little bit. How are we going to go ahead and handle this topic when when it comes up? Are we going to shame people? Are we going to make it so that other people, as they watch, go, "Well, if that happened to them, I am not yeah. going to go ahead and step up and admit anything." I'm going to, right. 
or are we going to go ahead and and tell people, look, this is a mistake. You shouldn't be doing this. This isn't the right thing to do. And when people make mistakes, say, and yet we love you and we're here to nurture you back into fellowship. And that's you know, it, we are really quick to read First Corinthians thirteen or First yeah, Corinthians, nice. where Paul not thirteen, but First Corinthians, where Paul talks about the man who's caught in a really deviant sexual behavior, and he says, "Throw him out, get him out! How dare you leave this person? To, you know, he's doing stuff that even the Gentiles might do. You don't, you know, you got to get rid of that kind yeah, of thing." Yeah, he's got to go. And, and then, but we we read that text and we completely ignore Second Corinthians, where Paul sends a letter and goes, "Hey guys." I was telling you to get his attention. He's sorry. Let him back. Yeah. You know, you restore him. Yeah. Just restore him with love. He's he's sorry. Let him let him back in. Yeah. And um, we kind of ignore that one at times. And so that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is when we don't do say anything about it at all. It's like, well, you know, what? You, you do you. I'll do me. I'm not. Who am I to judge whether you're right and wrong or whatever else? That's the other side of the coin. And and you know, last week I told you a story about a stoplight. Yeah, um, right. and that I didn't, I didn't say anything because I didn't want to. I didn't want to be that judgy person in the seat judging how somebody else drove. And the reason, and what happened is that there was an accident. and It was a bad accident that I could have prevented simply by saying there was a stoplight. And I think it's important in the Christian faith for us to understand that there's stoplights in other people's lives, and we don't call stoplights to be to be a backseat driver, to be rude, to be mean, yeah. but to say, "Hey, I'm concerned for you. I see this this problem, and it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt your family. It's going to hurt those around you um, yeah. when you do this. So, hey, stoplight. Stop it. Yeah. Stop. Stoplight. Not because." Not because I hate you, but because I love you. Just the opposite, and that's that's really the 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 test of things. Are you doing this because you love them? Or are you doing it because you're getting some sort of glee out of Something. out of like going, ha ha, I caught you. You're gotcha. Yeah. You know, and so we do have a responsibility to care about those around us. It's not judgmental to say, hey, don't. That's that's that's, that's bad it. news. You're going to you're going to hurt your spouse. You're going to hurt your children. You're going to hurt the person's family that you're doing this with. You are going to create long-term emotional pain when it doesn't work out. Yeah. Uh, And so those are the things that we, that we ought to be talking about, not in hateful terms, but in loving terms. And and I care about you kind of terms. I think the other part of that is when we don't talk about it, nobody knows anybody else's story. Yeah. And then if you say, well, Ken, see what you're doing here. Stoplight. And you're going, who the heck is Randy? Yeah. How do you get to speak into my life? And at least if you know my story, you can say, "Oh, Randy's been there before." Yeah, horrible story. I mean, the 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 ripple effect. You only it's like, well, it's just husband and wife, and then it's like, oh, well, there was a child born during the marriage who was assumed to be mine, and it wasn't. And then you have grandparents who think they're grandparents and they're not. And then when there's a fight over who gets to see who and when and how, and then there's, you know, there's all. I mean, Bitterness, the, yeah. the effects go out so far when. We're honest and we can, we're open, we can have these conversations. And it's not like I just like to go out and tune around and say, Hey, everyone, I've been divorced, you know, before and it yeah. was really horrible and whatever. But when people know our stories and we have that at least enough of a relationship to have that level of intimacy, where if someone, I think it gives us a little room to step into someone's life just for a moment, even to say, look, I've, I've been there. There's a little, you know, I have some history here. This is, but this that's, is what, what, that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, that's what Christian community is for. Is what it's, it should be. And, yeah. and, you know, that's why it's why having a small group of people 
in your church is so important to have it, you know, these things are not best handled in large groups. <laughs> these things are best dealt with amongst friends where we talk to each other in truth and, and we know that the person cares, cares about us. us yeah. we, be, we know that because they've walked alongside us through through life and we know that yeah. they genuinely have a true interest and truly care about us. Yeah, that's that's just such an important part of that. There are a ton of things that I was hoping we would have time to get to. We're not going to have time because we have a ton of questions to answer from Q&A for number one. So I want to get to one more thing specifically. I'm not going to let this one go, but I would encourage you to uh, swipe up in today's show notes. And there is a link to Speaking of Grace, which does have the message there in its entirety. Because there was just, I mean, so many good things about being loved unconditionally, about objectifying people and making Jesus always first. That's just, I mean, that's a dull moment, but at the same time, it's just so important. And three tips on how, you know, accountability matters, educate yourself, spend time growing your relationship with Jesus. These are all important things, but Ken broke them down in a really, really cool way. And in an order, I think, to me, made a lot of sense. And it was... Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can do this, I can do this. So if you're looking for something to take away, definitely watch the message, get get the, uh, get the it right from Ken. And uh, But I, before we start answering questions, I wanted the, my favorite part about your message, and I wasn't expecting to see here, this was something that I have thought of in the past, and it has made me love my wife in different ways and in better ways than before I I really thought of it that way, and uh, I'm smiling. You can probably you can probably hear me smiling, but it's when Adam knew yeah. Eve. Oh, yeah. come on! The the the, the wordplay and the implication there that there was something so much more deeper and divinely inspired than just a physical act yeah. or a sexual act. And anytime I feel like you know. Life gets busy, and you 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 don't you don't get to spend as much time with your kids, your wife, and especially my wife. And I, I always like to go back to that and go, uh, Randy knew Heather, mm-hmm. and like, what don't I know? What am I missing? Yeah. What has? Because people change. That's the other thing is we just like, oh well, you know, ten years ago you said this, yeah, and it's like, well, yeah, but that was in a situation. It's different, and we all grow and if we're not constantly wondering and about Jesus, like, like Randy knew Jesus, cause I need to know him not in that kind of way, but in a personal, so intimate way yeah. that when he, even though he doesn't change, I do. And when I change, then I see things differently in him. And I was just like, I wanted you to just touch on that because, uh, yeah. the, the way you're, the way you changed when you said that, uh, just made my heart warm a little bit. Cause that's how I feel ever since I've thought and I, I, I've kind of thought about it in that same way. And I was like, Oh man, that is so cool. And just, I don't want anyone to miss that. Yeah. You know, we live in a, in a society that basically regards sex as a very casual and recreational kind of activity. It, it's like, well, you know, sex is just fun. It's physical. That's all it is. Um, you know, you can watch it in the movies. You see it when with people talking about, you know, having multiple sex partners, so on and so forth. And yet, for anybody who has had sex, you know, yeah, you know that there is something far more than just a physical act, act going on it, yeah. there. Yeah. And that's exactly what God is pointing out in Genesis 3 when we're told that Adam— New or is it Genesis four? I think it was. I didn't. Yeah, write I, it down. I can't remember. Anyway, I think it was four. 
Um, anyway, but God, the first verse of, I think, Genesis chapter 4, it says that Adam knew Eve, and and that implication is it's it's a deep, deep knowledge. It's, it's, it's the implication there is that it's more than sex, and so sex, as created by God, is spiritual, it is physical, and it is emotional, and it, it, is, it is two people coming together and creating a bond that is meant to create cohesive uh, togetherness mm-hmm. and oneness, really. And so when we treat it other than that, we miss out on the beauty that God wants to give us. And when we treat it as just something that's casual, we miss out, we're, we're actually missing out uh, on something that's far more beautiful than what we're actually giving out. We're, we're cheaping out. We're taking yeah. the, you know, it's, <laughs> I know that, that, that it sounds strange, but it's the difference between, you know, going to some pop-up fair that has carnival ride type of stuff and going to Disney World. It's the diff- that's the difference is yeah. that you, it's not you're you're not getting what God wanted to gift you with, which is this incredible beautiful experience to be shared with one other person and yeah. that that will bond you and and be this beautiful expression of of knowing each other in in the truest sense of knowing. Yeah. It's Genesis four one, by the way. There we I, go. I just went and checked yeah. out. And I, I think you're right. So often you can trivialize sex as something that, you know, is fun and it's between your husband and your wife and it's something that you share in ways that only you only you know about. And you know, there there can be that fun and and, and um airy aspect to it that's just like, man, it's so good to see you. It's just, you know, we're we're together and that's what's most important. And, you know, there's all there's time. Again, there's a time and place for everything. But if you just miss that part and you never go for the no, the new and you never yeah. go for that part, you're right. You're just missing out on so much. And it's uh, it was just I, it just made me smile because I'm like, ah, somebody else thinks the same <laughs> way about this. And it just uh, it made me uh, made me smile. All right. We had a ton of questions that we wanted to get to. And we actually had two questions come in. Uh, I buy via anonymous text from last week's Four Ways to Kill. Okay. So if we have time, uh, we are about, geez, we're about 40 minutes in. So we should be able to whip through these, I think, pretty good. I see. All right. So let's start. Do we want to start with last week or we want to jump into these since we're fresh into it? Let's jump into these. Let's jump into these. All right. Here we go. First one from Nate said, morning, everyone. So I guess when it comes to shame... I wonder why it's so tough for people, and dare I say Christians, to not understand people's shame. Is it because shame can be a gray area? I think it's because we we weaponize shame. Um, I think that as Christians, we, we weaponize it and we use it to go beyond what God intended shame to be. God... God the Bible tells us that I shouldn't even say God intended it to be, but this is what the result of sin is. It's like you know, if you if you hit your your uh, hand with a hammer, um, <laughs> you know you feel pain, and that pain is telling you that something just went very wrong, yeah. and, and that you're probably going to need to get some ice and deal with with what you've done. Even if there's a little velvet on it, yeah. Even if there's a velvet <laughs> on it, and so and the same thing's true as shame. Shame is there to say, hey, something just went wrong something needs to be addressed, do something about this. But it's not there to be like, 
you know, it's not to take the, your, your thumb and then where you get got hit by the hammer, just digging that thumb, thumb in and making you feel worse. greater and greater yeah. pain. The, the point is to alleviate that pain to come alongside and say, hey, what do we need to do different? What can we do to heal this? And so same thing is true with shame. And I think that Christians, number one, I think that, that those on the opposite side of it can tend to weaponize it and, and use it um, as a weapon. And then I think on the other side, for those who, who do feel shame, we tend to do kind of one of really two things. We either we kind of ignore it and just kind of try to push it off into the corner, or we wallow in it. Yeah. And we're like, yeah. oh, I'm a terrible person. I'm awful. Yeah. I can never be better. God will never forgive me. My family will never forgive me. I can never be a whole again. I'll never... None of those are correct. Shame is just there to say, hey, there's a problem deal with this, let Jesus deal with before it more it importantly worse. before it gets worse. Yeah. Shar asked, if your partner is struggling with sexual immorality, do you stay with them? And I think we've kind of talked this one through a little bit, but mm. what, like, this is kind of a parameters... Like, well, for it, somebody who's going through that, firstly, let me tell you, I am sorry for the pain you're feeling. Mm. I really am. The pain that you're feeling... It is not wrong for you to be hurting. Um, it is not wrong for you to be discouraged. It is not wrong for you to be angry. You know, that's not sure. wrong. Absolutely. So if you're going through that and you're trying to decide what to do about it, the best advice I can tell you is to find yourself a really good Christian counselor, find yourself a good pastor, um, and talk to them about this. Put the put that in front of them. And, and I do emphasize the word good because— not everybody's going to give you the best advice. And so do your best to find a good counselor who can kind of give you good good walking beside you kind of information about how to handle what's going on. And I would hate to touch it beyond that because the answer is every situation, situation. is individual. Yeah. And, um, and I wouldn't want to tell you, yeah, stick with that person. No, don't stick with that person. It, what I would want to say is it just really does depend on the situation. You need to spend some time in prayer, a lot of time in prayer with God about it. You need to, like I said, seek the counsel of, of godly people yeah. that you trust and uh, and get their advice. And then filter that advice and come up with a game plan. What I would tell you is if there, you have somebody who has no repentance, no interest in changing— yeah, that, that, that's, that can be a real problem, and that's one of those times where when somebody has no interest in changing, you really do have to make a decision whether you're going to go ahead and live with what they're doing or whether you're going to go ahead and, and, and step away from that and the pain that's being caused to you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm, uh, I agree. I am sorry that that's— And by the way, if you're on the opposite with. side of that, can I just say this? If you're the one doing the cheating and somebody in your spouse comes to you and says, hey— you know, if you can do this, I would like to stay together. Really listen to them. To that, yeah. Yeah, go get counseling. Go go talk with them. And I, again, I know marriages are complicated, and I know there's a lot to it. So, But go, go, go do some counseling. Go talk to a third party that's going to be unbiased and get some, some good information and, and make some decisions with prayer and putting your, yourself back into God's hands. That's a just, just from experience. That's usually an offer that doesn't last very long, mm. um, and maybe only once. And if there's anything in you that feels like that's maybe what you yeah. want, it's probably best to, in all cases, like you said, to seek the counsel and and be in prayer about it as well. Nashville Tim 
says, stop it, exclamation point. Interesting. Although Jesus said something similar, go on and sin no more, the beautiful thing is Jesus' words came with the implication of shifting focus to him, focus on Jesus. Like, <laughs> I'm glad he was amused from stop it, because I was too. <laughs> it was just like, because it's the most insane advice you could give somebody that obviously is But we do it all the work, time, but, don't we? But, but we do it in like, wait a minute, that didn't work? <laughs> well, well, what? No, it had to work. Yeah. No, it, it didn't work. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. That's awesome. Focus on Jesus. Absolutely agreed, Tim. All right. Marie asked, how do you deal with someone who was having an affair in the church and was discouraged to pursue, but denied, and now the lady became pregnant? How do you think the church should deal with it? Ouch. So, so let's go ahead and be very clear about something. Just because somebody becomes pregnant, that's not the problem. <laughs> Right, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, the problem isn't that they became pregnant. The problem is the actions Trons. that were going into the pregnancy. Yeah. And and one of the things I want to say is we often will use the word illegitimate pregnancy or illegitimate child. There are no illegitimate, illegitimate. children. There yeah, are no illegitimate pregnancies. That child had is not their fault. And what I would say in this particular, in in a case like what you're talking about, there are steps the church needs to do for accountability, not just because somebody became pregnant, but if there is a breaking of the seventh commandment that is creating brokenness in in relationships. I have seen it in churches where you'll have people that I'll call serial philanderers that they they will they they cheat on their spouse not with one but multiple people they break yeah. up marriages inside the church and the church has a responsibility to step in and say hey you can't be doing that. You yeah. can't be doing that. that's not part of our uh, that's just not part of the Christian faith to be breaking families up, to be creating heartache. Um, this is not loving other, people. Yeah, this is not loving. You know, it's God. just not no. loving. So, church has a responsibility to step up, but the church also has a responsibility to do so with grace, love, compassion, and the the attempt to bring about redemption. In that's that. a tough place to be for the church, though. Too. It's a very tough place for the church, I mean, and no two cases are alike. And so. You know, without knowing the specifics of the situation this person's talking about, again, I wouldn't want to dive into it. What I would say is the church does have a responsibility to take action when when there is deep hurt that's being felt and that needs to be dealt with. But they also have a responsibility to take care of it in a very Christ-like, loving manner that isn't humiliating people and that is not just... Uh, kind of coming in punitively to yeah. do something, but again, it's coming in redemptively to try to restore the situation. You know, I, I'm glad that I'm glad that you said it that way because, I, well, just knowing who is you know on our staff and and who comes and attends our church, and goodness, I hope this doesn't happen to anyone. I hope this isn't happening right now, and if. Marie, if this is someone you know or you're dealing with this, I again, I, I'm sorry, and we would definitely pray for you that this gets resolved in a in a way that Christ would be proud of. But you know, I, I at least like to think that at Whole Life Church, the fact that we're having these conversations and that we're not we're not shying away from them, and we're trying to to best we can answer questions. This is what what we would do, and this is how our church should operate, and that we're a family, and that you know. Families are oftentimes not, not, you know, it's it's a little messy, and that we're still here to love each other and to hold each other up. And I can tell you that, had I been someone even 
uh, in church at the time it happened to me, even though everyone knew what was happening to me because it was all over the place and there were sides and it was ugly. And I can just tell you that if, if someone had come to me and said, look, we know what happened and, you know, we're here to help and, you know, and to be loving to both sides, because even though you may be upset with the other person, I don't think anyone wants to see that person trashed or, or just, you know, mutilated and, and thrown You're probably to the a little side. bit more optimistic than I am. I've I've seen well, I, I've seen the situations no, where people are very initially onset, yeah. I would I, I believe that. But I think when when it really settles and if but if if you come at it at a, at a an early on situation before things get so hopefully out of control, hopefully that's uh that's yeah. the so I, I appreciate that. Um and then last what about those who say it's only sex but not love? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what about those? Yeah. That those are the people you don't want to be spending too much time time with if they're if they're if they're coming to if they're telling you that they want to have sex and it's not don't take love, relationship advice you know that's the one I tell my daughter please, please. And my son please don't <laughs> Move don't on. believe that because um, yeah. going back to what we said about Adam knowing Eve mm. um, from a Christian worldview it's not just sex no um, it can't be and and I, honestly I have a hard time even thinking that from a secular worldview. You yeah. can say it's just sex because, you know, even in a secular worldview, people tend to be somewhat discriminating about who they have sex with. Yeah. And and again, you everybody, everybody that I've ever talked to, secular or Christian, knows that there's just something special about sex that just is it is not it's just not the same as getting a uh, a manicure or a pedicure or you know getting your hair cut or something like that that those you know yeah. it's not the same thing it's something far more intimate far more spiritually it's not binding. holding hands it's not holding hands it's not to, even kissing you know. it's it's you know it's when you like I love yeah. how you, you nailed it in in the q and a when you said look if it wasn't a big deal and if there wasn't it, like if there was nothing else involved other than just, oh well, we had sex, and hey, I'm moving on. By the way, oh, okay, cool, yeah. And it's but it name one person that you know of that has ever said that yeah. or has ever been on either side, yeah. Because even the person that leaves eventually goes, you know, there there was something that made you connect with that person yeah. and share this intimate. Um, well, I guarantee experience. even even on what what I'm told the kids call hookups now, right? <laughs> Even on hookups, there's always at least one person in that hookup that's that feels some somewhat feels devastated yeah. that they didn't get a phone call later, or that the person didn't follow up with them later, with or whatever. Yeah. It's like I thought Died. something, and I, and hey, look, I know I'm not going to be stupid either. There is a percentage of people that have become so callous to sex that yes, maybe it is for them just a physical act, but I feel sorry for that that. I do because yeah. if that's all it is to you, like I said, you're missing out on Disneyland. You're missing out on what sex really could be, yeah. As opposed to what what you know, you've got you've got the cheaper version, and you've missed out on what it can be. And the problem with that is you you've created calluses in your emotional life that will that that really will make it hard for you to experience the true intimacy that God wanted you to, to be have. able to experience yeah. with another human being. Now, if that's where you're at right now, but you'd like to reclaim it, you know what? I'm a, I believe in a God that heals and yeah. that, that can change 
your life and that can change things around for you. And so, you know, it's not too late ever to to give your life to God and allow him to do what he wants to do. And if once you found the other part of it, it does it makes such a difference that then you start to think, man, everything else is just kind of, you know, you know, it's, yeah. it is, but it's not that. Yeah. Because once you've once you've once you've achieved that and you've you've seen that other person that, that way, it just makes you love them every day, not just sex, everything about that relationship yeah. comes becomes better. Yep. Sierra Westfall, amen. She said that we're not uh, shying away from asking all these questions. So <laughs> and she is often one of our uh, uh, worship online worship hosts. So thank you, yep. Sierra, for that. All right, we're going to get to two questions that we had from last week. First one is, after your sermon about murder, it seems like the number of things that could be murder is ginormous. How do we give life instead of taking it away? <laughs> <laughs> well, since you, uh, that's, uh, that's a pretty wide scope of things to say, but I, I guess what, uh, um, how do you give life instead of taking it away? I think you intentionally think about ways to be kind to others, mm. ways to intentionally give back to this world instead of taking from it. Uh, that would be, you know, that in a connection with Jesus would be the place to start. That's a good place to start. All right, last one. Is being indifferent about something wrong the same as murder? Does this mean we have to be on fire to right all of the world's wrongs? No, because nobody can be um, on fire about every important topic that there is. In fact, that's one of my probably one of you know my annoyances is that you know you'll have that person that comes up to you and be like, "Hey, you've got to be excited about this great cause." And it's yeah. like, "Yeah, I know it's a great cause, but I'm just it's not where my heart is at. Yeah, it's not, not what thing. I'm in." So do you have to be excited about every great cause on earth? Of course you don't. God put certain passions into our heart for the things that we're that that bring us interest, that we maybe have skills that we can fulfill. What I would say is though that indifference to the seeing pain of another mm, okay. is a problem. Yeah. When I see pain and I am indifferent to it to the point where I don't care. Yeah. You know. It's like, I think there's a tendency for for me to get to the point where I see the person panhandling by the side of the road, and I kind of like, uh, get a job or, yeah. you know, whatever. But when I get to the point, I hope I never get to the point where I, when I see one of those people, even if I don't think that the best way to help them is to give them money, I hope I never get to the point where I don't think that they need help, that they deserve help, and that... I would be really glad if God put a passion on somebody's heart to do something about it. And if God were to ask me to do something about it, and I felt that call that I would do something would about do it. it. Yeah. And so none of us can be involved in every good cause. There's not enough time in the day. There's not enough money in the world. But what we can do is be passionate about the things that God has put within our reach and that yeah. he's given us a passion to do. Yeah. Yep. All right. One of this week's Whole Life Reflections asked, what gives you self-worth? And this one was... All three were very good, but I, I I chose this one because this is the one that I've probably learned the hardest lesson on mm. is that Randy does not know everything. Randy is not great at everything. Randy can't fix everything, uh, even though I put in a dishwasher last night in, a, in the most unlevel, out-of-square cabinet wow. you've ever seen, and booyah. Good for you. Yeah, how about that? No. But, Come over to my house. <laughs> you got a little handyman stuff you I need do. help with? All right. Well- and this is, though, being so self-dependent for so long, 
it's taken a long time to undo those kinds of things where you just go, oh, I can take care of that. Boom, and you do it. And you're like, all right, that came out pretty good. And now to just go, I wonder what God would really rather me do, or is there a way that I could do this better and be, I don't know, help somebody else, maybe show someone else, you know, I don't know. Just learning to rely on a little bit of prayer and a little bit of relationship with God every day to go, whatever you throw at me today, stop me if I'm being stupid, turn me around if I'm going the wrong way, and hit me in the head with a two-by-four right in the face if I need it, just so I'd love to do it the way you want me to do it. I'm just afraid often that I just don't see it, and that's a whole other battle I have. But anyway, it just find your self-worth. you got to find it in Jesus and and go there first. And then move on and know that he's helping out. And that that's just the one that really stuck out to me because if we can't, if we're still relying on ourselves, we're going to be really bad at the rest of this stuff. And we're, we're going to be really bad at 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 7, 8, yep. 9, 10. We're going to be bad at them all. So I really enjoyed that one. And uh, just a little, little self-worth checkup in case you haven't had one for a while. So this week, what we said, this is honor thy father and thy mother, yeah, right? Fifth coming command, up, fifth commandment coming up this Sabbath, Mother's Day. We've got a phenomenal group uh, coming in, um, a musical group, uh, and I am just—it's we haven't actually. Did you hear who the special guest is? I did. Ellie McGray, trumpet three. Really? <laughs> she's playing. Yeah, she's playing. I this am. Week. I am thrilled. Did so she knows who she's playing with? Though, she right? does because Richard Hickam uh, called me yesterday, and he's like, "Do you know?" Who's playing? He's like, and now from the Miami Sound Machine, and now this guy. And I, I didn't know the second person, and then, but you know, pretty famous. And then he's like, and playing third is Ellie McRae. And we had a, nice. we had a good, and then she's like, that is awesome. Yeah, and I'm like, there you go. You get to play with some really cool people. Who? Yeah, Richard's like, they love to teach. And, Group is and called help. Sound Doctrine. Yep, do kind of jazz type of uh, music. Ooh, I'm down. I'm um, ready. And and as was mentioned, uh, we have uh, one of. I think the lead trumpet for Miami Sound, Sound Machine. Machine did yep. a lot of the writing, I think, for their some of their glorious Stefan's music. Yeah. And uh, we're looking forward to having him be with Sound Doctrine this week. I think it's going to be just the music's going to be phenomenal. And uh, we're going to be talking about loving mom and dad. So, Oh, boy. Yeah. So do we have, um, you know, what what do we have anything to worry about? I mean, do I have anything? To worry? Come <laughs> I on, Randy. You always know with me. You've got something to worry about. There's always going to be something to worry about. Great, great. Well, I am still, I'm still happy that we decided that moms didn't need uh, adultery for their day, <laughs> and that 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 just makes me better because at the end of the day, you just like there's there's so many different ways that that you that you know we can fail and we don't like to talk about it and it's uncomfortable and all those things. But do do go back and check out the message because I really felt like Ken really had a really a really great linear way to attack this and to not throw rocks and just but man, here's ways to help. And that's I always like leaving something, leaving the message and going, this is a way to help. This is a way you can do something positive. And like you said earlier in the show, it's never too late to make a good decision and then another one after that. And just exactly. work from there. So, yep. all right, that's going to do it. I'm looking forward to Sound Doctrine. I'm looking forward to maybe a little less weight. I don't know. I was the youngest, and my brother was the straight arrow, so I'm probably in trouble this week too. So, we'll mom, if out. you're listening, I'm sorry. And Rob, Love if you're you, mom, and Rob, if you're listening, you knew you were the straight arrow. So, anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>